chapter 11. Would you please turn there with me? Matthew chapter 11. If you don't have Bibles of your own, our ushers do have Bibles available. Just raise your hand. They'll bring a Bible that you can use throughout our service this morning. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. I ask you to follow along with me as I read aloud. Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you see and what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding 
and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. May God give us understanding in his word today as we speak through it. If you would remain standing with me, let's have a word of prayer. After prayer, we have a song from our choir and then the preaching of God's word on this text. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to come into this building, this place of worship today, to hear your word, to fellowship with your saints, to be ministered to by others and to minister to others as well. We pray for this fellowship, that you would bless it, that you would strengthen it. You allow us to accomplish your purpose, to glorify you in all that we do, to take your word out, to, to preach it, to live it, to teach it, to proclaim it everywhere that we go. We thank you for our gathering yesterday, the picnic, and just enjoying the fellowship of each other. We thank you for so many who helped to make that happen. We thank you for their hard work and their effort. We thank you for um, each part of it, the preparation of the food, the serving of the food, the preparation of the grounds, the music, the just everything that you allowed your people to do. Thank you for that. Thank you for all who had a part in it and came. We ask your blessing now on this service, that you would use it to bring glory to yourself, that you'd open our eyes, our understanding to your word, that we might come observe who this Jesus is, believe what you say about him, and live out that truth of who he is in our own lives. to the hearts of your people today, Lord, through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. There's an old saying that's used that I think fits this chapter of Matthew 11, and it is this. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. That's actually a part of a saying that really says the proof of the pudding is in the eating. What does that mean? It means you can tell what something really is if it passed the test in tasting it and sampling it, and experiencing it 
for yourself. It might look one way. It might seem or appear to be something. But when you actually experience it and sample it, you get the real deal. The proof is in the pudding. I think that's the theme of chapter 11. Let's look at it. In chapter 10, Jesus had sent his disciples out. He had given them a mission. That was to heal and to do miracles amongst the people there. To go out in the land of Israel and to share this gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent because this kingdom has come to you. And they did that. And it says here in chapter 11 that when Jesus, after he instructed them and sent them out, he then went and preached in all those places that he had sent them. That's important to this chapter. Because they were eyewitnesses, both of the miracles of Jesus that he did and then the power that he showed and displayed through his disciples as he sent them out to those same cities. And then he came back himself and preached again in those cities. Can you see what's happening? Jesus and his ministry went out. Then he gathered his disciples and sent them out. And then he did his tour around to those cities. The message is clear. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he has established that by his teaching and by what he has done. They were interrupted with a view of what had happened with John the Baptist. We'll get more detail on that in the chapter to come, but we're reminded that something is centered around John the Baptist. Jesus started his ministry, but John the Baptist was the introduction to Jesus. He was the forerunner of Jesus. And so back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, it tells us this, that now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And then if you look at verse 17 of that chapter, it says, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, Jesus' ministry started with John the Baptist being arrested. And again, this is key. But here in chapter 11, it says that John is in prison, and he heard about the deeds of Christ. He heard about what had happened with Jesus. The things that he had done in teaching, the things that he had done and the miracles that he had done, he had heard about his, he sending his disciples out. He had heard all of this. And he asked a question. I think that John is discouraged. And we can see from his question, he says, are you the one? Or should we look for another? 
What would have caused John to say that? We know that in the Gospel of John, that John is the one that pointed to Jesus when he saw his ministry. After he had baptized him, he says, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What would have changed, if anything, in that perspective? I don't think his perspective, I don't think him believing and knowing the truth has changed. I think discouragement has come because of his circumstances. He's in prison now by a wicked king who he rebuked, and now he's been arrested by him, and he knows what's going to happen. This is a weak-minded, evil man who doesn't want to really kill John, but he's supposed to. Because that's what you do when someone goes and crosses the authority there to show yourself a strong authority. He needs to do this. And his wife reminds him of that. Those of you who know a little bit about the history and hear it, know why I put the quotes around wife. This is an evil man and an evil family and a wicked evil family. He has taken his brother's wife, and I can't even tell you what all the relationships are. There's incest in this family. There is all kind of wickedness goes on, and John points out that it's not right what he has done. He's been arrested. And he is sure to be put to death. And he kind of wonders out loud, is this what the kingdom looks like? Look what Jesus says to him. John sends his disciples to ask Jesus this question, and this is Jesus' response. The proof is in the pudding. Jesus said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He says, the proof, John, is in the pudding. Go tell John what's happening. What actually has occurred, what you see and what you hear. And that's enough. That's enough evidence to show who Jesus is. He is, in fact, the one. And John knows that, but it's good to be reassured. He says, John, don't be offended. Then Jesus turns to the crowd. He begins to talk to them about John. Who is this John? Who is he? He says, what did you expect from him? A reed shaken by the wind? A man dressed in soft clothing? Were you expecting a cultured, privileged, elite, a superior class, noble, an educated, wealthy person that came with these distinctions? 
says, no, what you got was a prophet and more than a prophet. In other words, a prophet isn't concerned with all of those things. He isn't concerned with what the people want to hear and how he should appear to them and how they think he should look. You know the story of John the Baptist. He didn't dress in a way that fit in with the culture of his day or, or, or what people would think of. But he indeed was a messenger, the forerunner to the Messiah. Jesus says he is the Elijah who is to come. In other words, this is the one and only one that's been designated to be the messenger to announce that the Messiah is coming. Then Jesus goes on to talk about John's audience, verses 16 through 18. What shall I compare, but to what shall I compare this generation? This generation, this, this crowd, these people who have heard both the message of John and seen the works and the message of Jesus, and his disciples. What are they like? He says, they are like when the kids go into the marketplace and they say this, we played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Since we tried to bring this to you in any and every way you could relate to, but you weren't affected or impacted. We sang a happy song. You weren't happy. You didn't dance. We sang a sad song. Neither did that move you to tears or any other emotion. You remained totally unaffected or impacted no matter what we did. Jesus emphasizes the teaching that he's explaining here. He said, John came neither eating nor drinking, and you called him a demon. And then I came totally the opposite, both eating and drinking. And what did you say to me? You said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He says, no matter what you heard, no matter how we related to you and tried to connect you with the truth, you, weren't, you wouldn't have in it. No message seemed to appeal to you. And Jesus says this, yet wisdom is justified by her, by her deeds. The proof is in the pudding. That applies two ways. One is the proof of who Jesus is, is the thing that he has said and the deeds that he has done. You can take them, you can check it out, and you can examine them. Is what he said true? And did he prove to be who he claimed to be? Did, did his actions show and justify his words? The proof is in the pudding. The same thing he could say to John's disciples, look at what I did. Look at what I said. Examine it and check it out for yourselves. These individuals were there. They were eyewitnesses to the very work 
of God through Jesus Christ, not only his words, but his work, they saw even what his disciples did. Can you imagine that? It says Jesus gave them authority to, to heal, authority to cast out demons, authority to raise people from the dead. How could people witness this and see this, this very act in front of them and not know who Jesus is? So you have John and you have Jesus. And they say of John, he has a demon. And they say of Jesus, we saw in the last chapter, He's casting out these demons by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. What a ridiculous statement. Oh, but you know what? We say, had I been there, I, my eyes would have been opened. I would have seen it. I would have acknowledged the truth. When we get to the end of the chapter, we'll, we'll see that. But because of this, then we see chapter, uh, verse 20. It says, he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Why? Because they did not repent. There were eyewitnesses to what Jesus had done and what he had taught, and yet they did not repent. He says, woe to you. In other words, damnation, condemnation. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. But I tell you, it will be, be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Jesus speaks clearly of a day of judgment, that men and, and, and women, individuals, will come before God and give account for what they have done with the gospel message. He says, verse 23, and you, Capernaum, you will be exalted to heaven, question mark, no, you will be brought down to Hades. Again, Jesus speaks clearly about his judgment and about hell. We saw this in his message is that he speaks straightforward. Today, people think they preach the message of Christ and all they can do is this, this gushy, uh, what they think is, is love, which does not identify what God really says. Absolutely, Jesus proclaims a love for his people and love that his people will show. But there's a reason for the need for Jesus' love. It's a reason why we ought to respond to the love of God through Jesus Christ is because the judgment of God is also coming through Jesus Christ. You cannot ignore and divorce one from the other because they go clearly 
together. When our eyes are open, we see it. Even for the, from the simplest expression of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What does it mean he gave? It means he sent his son to die. Torturous death on the cross. That whoever believes in him would not what? Perish. Not experience the judgment of God. He shows the love of God there in Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. He shows the judgment of God there in Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. That we would not perish but have everlasting life. That message is to be taken together and not dissected and giving to the people what you think they want to hear. In fact, he proves that. He says, look, John came <laughs> very straightforward and preaching it, as we would say, like it is. He says to the Pharisees, what you doing here? Who warned you of God's judgment? D don't come in here with that fake stuff. And then Jesus comes, as we saw, when he called Matthew, and then all of Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector, and he called Matthew to be one of his disciples. And he went into Matthew's home, and, and all of the guests, all of Matthew's uh, friends, sinners, <laughs> they, they, they were all tax collectors and cheaters, and, and, and they all came together, and they, they loved being in the company of Jesus. Well, what did the Pharisees say? They said, there's something fishy about that, Jesus. You're spending all this time with these sinners, these wicked people. What kind, of, what kind of a Messiah can you possibly be when you sit and have dinner with sinners? So no matter which way you came at them, they weren't hearing this message. Jesus begins to pronounce woe on those who have not repented after hearing and seeing the clear message and the evidence behind that message. He speaks of judgment. He speaks of degrees of judgment. He says to be more tolerable for those entirely inside and he says, if the people of Sodom had seen what these people had seen, they would have remained until this day. In other words, God wouldn't have destroyed Sodom if they had the evidence that the people of Jesus' day had. They would have repented, it says. It says, verse 24, I tell you, it would be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. What do we take from that message for us today? We would sit here 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years from the life, from the time that Jesus walked the earth. And like his message to Thomas and John, Thomas says, I want to see it. To believe it. And Jesus says, 
Blessed are those who believe and haven't seen. Obvious throughout history, everybody will not have the opportunity to live at the time of Jesus Christ. But Jesus is showing us a view of those who did and were no better off in putting their faith in Christ because they actually lived in that time. Who are we to think that had we lived in that time, we would be any different? The point here is the message of the gospel has come down to us clearly through the word of God, and we have the responsibility then to repent and believe the gospel. There will be no excuse in any age for those in their response to the gospel. The message to us is to do just that, repent. We use different excuses today as to why um, we don't have to listen to or, or don't have to take in the gospel. But the, the truth is the evidence of the gospel is apparent. What Jesus has done cannot be negotiated away or reasoned away. What, what, who he is is, 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 a, is a matter of history that we, in fact, must deal with. Now, we could say uh, we can ignore it as if it's not important, but it doesn't matter what you say is important. It matters what God says is important. When Jesus was, was baptized, was, the voice from heaven says, this is my son. Listen to him. Hear him. It's amazing what God is doing today to allow us to hear the voice of his son. Look with me in this chapter, in verse 25. Jesus says this, he declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little Children. In other words, in spite of the great amount of evidence that's right in the face of many people that lived in Jesus' day, they could not or would not see. But God opened the eyes of some so that they would actually see and believe. And that's the action that has to take place no matter what age we live in for God to pronounce or, or to, to give the impact of the message of the gospel in us or to us to open our eyes to see who Jesus is. When God has opened your eyes, you say, thank you, Father. I wouldn't have gotten it no other way. But thank you that you allowed me to hear this gospel and respond to this gospel. He says, you've, God has hidden some things, and he's revealed some things. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Why is that? Because in their pride, they think they have the, 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 the proper filter to understand all that they see and to choose what it is they'll take in and what they won't. You don't have that proper filter. God has to show you what's important and what you should receive. 
And he reveals that, look what he says, he reveals them. First of all, he withholds or hides it from the wise in understanding. Those who are, who, who are uh, uh, um, uh, conceited in their own thoughts to think that they can understand and discern in their own, with their own mind, the will of God, the purpose of God and what he's doing. But what he's done, he's revealed it to children. Those show the, the, the humility of those who say, God, show me. God, open my eyes. I don't know what to think, what to believe, what to receive. You, you show it to me. He reveals that to little children. Jesus has said, unless you're going to become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're going to realize that you absolutely need your heavenly father to show, to open your eyes, to let you see his truth, to impact your heart with his truth. You never say yes to it. And he says this verse 26, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. It is God's will to withhold from the proud and to reveal to the humble. To those that know they don't deserve it. To those, that, to those who know that they could not receive this in their own power or ability. All things have been handed over to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father. No one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. And then the invitation. Jesus is saying, <laughs> the father has given out his message. And he's given to some to reveal to them the import of this message that they need to respond. He invites them to respond, come to me, come to me. It says when Jesus looked at the crowd earlier, we saw that he saw that they were in a pitiful state. They looked like sheep without a shepherd in the midst of wolves. He says, come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Do you think you can find your way to God yourself? Or do you need, in fact, God to point you to himself? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. <laughs> you know, it's like we, we could be striving so hard to do something. God says, no, it, it, it ain't by your striving. It's, it's, it's trusting in me. It, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? And it is, but it can only be done by, by God doing a work in and through you. You recognize that. It's not your effort. He says, Come. All who labor and are burdened with weight, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. 
You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To the, the one who simply says, God, show me your way. Open my eyes that I might see. I want to know your way. I want to know your path. I want to trust in you. I want to follow you. You see what should be just readily apparent to anyone that can see is that Jesus was exactly who he said he was and did works to prove that very thing. But the people of his day rejected him. They rejected John, who came with a simple message. John eventually was put to death. They rejected Jesus, and he will follow in the same path as John and be put to death. But his word and his evidence is proof, and it never stops bearing witness to who he is, to the fact that even today, millions of people today on this morning are gathered to worship as they do every week this Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead because his works still have that power in our lives to redeem us, to cleanse us from sin and draw us close to our Heavenly Father. Jesus' work is still being done. It's amazing that, you know, I don't know what John was offended. Maybe he got caught into that thing of thinking that, you know, if you're dead, you're defeated. But that's not the case. Jesus says, John, yeah. Basically, John, you're going to die, but you're not defeated. I'm going to die, but I'm not defeated. In fact, that's God's purpose. It's his purpose to use that to bring about victory. And the world stumbles at that as Satan does. But that is the salvation path that God has chosen. That those who believe in his crucified son, also believe in his risen son that has the power to give life to all who trust in him. It boggles the mind of the unsaved. What it brings of those of us who have turned to Christ to, 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 to joy. <laughs> how simple and how beautiful this gospel message is and that it has come to us. God has opened the eyes of children that we can see this glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody else can look at him and not see who he is. What an amazing thing that is. Now, if God has opened your eyes and you see him, you can't stop looking at him. You can't stop glorying in him. Don't get distracted by all the other things that are going on in the world, thinking that, that that's more important. Your eyes have been, 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 been brought to sight and you see Jesus. Don't stop looking at him. That's what he's saying to John. John, 
Look at me, man. Look at who I am. Look at what I have done. Who's the one? I'm the one. You see the evidence. The proof is in the pudding. Bible says in Psalm 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So once you've tasted, keep on tasting. Keep on looking at Jesus. Don't lose your focus on him. Don't let the world lie to you and say there's something a little more important. After you got Jesus, now you need this. No. Keep looking at Jesus. Keep worshiping Jesus. Keep praising Jesus. Know that he will complete what he said he will do. And keep following Jesus. You know, the proof is in the pudding. The problem is some people <laughs> will find that out way too late. The evidence is there. Come and taste Jesus so you can join with him in the feast in heaven. You see, when we get to heaven, it's all going to be apparent then. I didn't waste my time. I did not waste my time one moment serving God, trusting him, investing my whole life in him, turning away from any and every other distraction and turning wholeheartedly to him will not be a waste of time in eternity. Instead, in eternity, those who look back will regret anything and everything they've done that distracted them from following Jesus. And they will have that regret, regret for all of eternity. It will be evident then. It will be plain and simple then. But for those whose eyes are open, it's evident right now. And it's plain and simple right now. The question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to close your eyes and walk out of here and act like you didn't hear and didn't see and didn't know who Jesus is and act like your life should be guided and directed by something else? Are you going to cause the distractions in your life to, to take your eyes off of Jesus? Or are you going to pray, Lord, help me be wholeheartedly focused on this Jesus in all of my life. Steer me towards him. Direct me towards him. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. There will be none who trust in you that will be ashamed in eternity. We thank you for that. Lord, we are prompted like John to be discouraged at times. But you remind us to look at you to look at what you have done and what you are doing and to see with the spiritual eyes that you have enlightened to know the truth 
that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Lord, for those who are trusting in you, Lord, we pray that you will bring us to just that renewed spirit of surrender to you. To know that it is all worth it. The world doesn't see it that way, but they'll never see. But you are calling one's little children out of the world to see your truth to wholeheartedly follow you. Your message has been one that it takes faith to follow you. You're calling people to wholeheartedly follow you. You have said, come unto me all who are burdened and heavy laden, and you will give them rest. May we respond to your invitation today to turn wholeheartedly after you, to complete, to continue, to persist in following you by your power. We thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes and pointing us to Christ. We pray and thank you, Lord, that you're continuing to do that even in a world that doesn't see Christ. Help us to be perseverers and examples and testimonies so that others might see. If they don't see, you'll judge them. You'll clear us because you've allowed us to be light and salt. Bless your people. Challenge them now who you're calling to yourself to respond to this gospel. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.